Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Good morning, Memphis. Last week, we revisited our Celebrate What's Right virtual series on all things Memphis culture. And what's more Memphis culture than music? Though I don't have to tell you that because you're already tuning in to WIXR. We're following up with our panel discussion from June 2020, titled Celebrate What's Right, Memphis Music in the Key of E, Education, Equity, and Economics. During this panel discussion, you'll hear from the leaders who paved the way for the next generation of Memphis sound. They'll explore the infrastructure of Memphis music, how supporting and educating our musicians contributes to our city's cultural identity, and the economic impact of investing in our city's musical talent. This event was generously sponsored by the First Horizon Foundation and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee. Today, you'll hear from James Dukes, a.k.a. I Make Mad Beats, founder of Unapologetic, Jane Ellen White, music specialist of Memphis Tourism, Dr. Ken Stortz, founder and president of Visible Music College, Tanya Dyson, executive director of Memphis Slim Collaboratory, and Robert Moody, music director of Memphis Symphony Orchestra. So let's dive right in. So we'll start with our panel now. And so I'll have each of our panelists start by stating your name and how you would describe Memphis music in three words or less and no repeats. Um, so if Jane, if you want to start first. Sure. Hi, guys. Um, I'm Jane Ellen White with Memphis Tourism, and I am the music specialist. And three words for Memphis music, um, I'm going to say recognizable, influential, and from a Black experience. I like it. Um, what about Tanya? Um, three words. Ooh. Okay, so Memphis music, dope as hell. Yay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, all right, Ken, let's hear from you. Uh, well, I'd say they got that groove. Okay, I like that. Um, and James, or I make bad beats, let's hear from you. Yeah, um, I make mad beats, founder of Unapologetic. Um, I would say daring. Um, I was going to say influential, but Jane got me there. So I'm going to switch that up to inno innovative. Okay. And then I'm also going to say now. Oh, I like that. Very relevant. Um, and last but certainly not le least, Robert, let's hear from you. Yeah. Hey, I'm Robert Moody. I'm the music director of Memphis Symphony. And uh, I mean, the, the first thing that came to my mind when you asked the question was uh, Memphis as funk. F-U-N-K. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I... Out, out of out of the box. I mean, you know, it, this is uh, there's too many words, but unique, out of the box. Memphis has funk. F U N K. Like it. Mine that I had was like nowhere else. So I think we're all kind of on the same page with you can only find it in Memphis, and it's relevant and current and innovative and and highly spirited. So I love it. Um, so next we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Um, how do you think the culture of an area reflects and determines the kind of music it produces? So the innovation, the Memphis as funk, um, <laughs> the um, now, what do you think all goes into creating that kind of music? Let's start with Tanya on this one. Um, well, of course, you know, uh, 
I'm a lover of soul music um, and of course blues and gospel and all those things that kind of made soul. So looking at the, the previous history of Memphis and looking at a lot of the, um, what would be considered bad things um, as far as the poverty, um, even the racism in a lot of cases, so many of the negatives, Memphis music was able to take those negatives and word them and put them into a song um, and to kind of tell the plight all over the world. And that was a way that uh, Memphis music uh, musicians could connect with so many people, you know, even people um, that did not look like them, did not have the same background as them, not even, you know, in most cases, ethnicity or even religion is them, but they can all um, connect on that common ground. And so Memphis music was just basically able to take a lot of the negatives that came along with being in the Bible Belt, you know, being in the Deep South, being in a highly impoverished area and kind of change that and, um, you know, morphed it into something beautiful in essence. Yeah, that's a really great point um, of taking some of the things that are not so shiny or bright and kind of putting it into a song or a feeling that everyone can relate to. Right. Um, Ken, what do you think? <clears throat> well, I totally agree that um, the struggle of an area gets into its music and we definitely see that in Memphis. I, I'd say that maybe just even further, the, the, the sophistication and expectation of the the shine of something, you know, sort of the metropolitan, you know, feel is missing, which is a really positive part of Memphis. Not that we can't be polished, but it's just, it leaves a room for the raw, organic, the energy, uh, the closer to the artist, really, um, to me. And it's not as, uh, there's not that expectation you might, you know, you might have if this was Las Vegas or something, it's a draw crazy parallel. So I love the the grit and the you know the, the originality and the rawness of music here. Yeah, that makes sense. And Robert, how do you think the the classical arts fit into all of that? Well, I'm a bit of a newbie, uh, probably in the grand scheme of things. This is my fourth year as music director of Memphis Symphony. Um, although I started first time I came as a guest conductor was in 2005. And I was invited to be the conductor for the Elvis Presley birthday concert. So actually, that was the year Harley Davidson did this thing with Graceland. So I got to ride out on stage at the Cannon Center on a limited edition Elvis Presley Harley. I, I promise you that was not something I thought about when I was studying classical music in my life. To your, to your whole question and thought about how does, you know, the culture in a specific area affect music, I think they are inextricably linked. I think they are completely um, dependent upon each other, uh, connected to each other. It's the history of an area. It's the culture of an area. It's the good, the bad, the ugly, all the stories of an area. But it's also the, you don't hear it as readily now with technology and industry, but it's the sounds of the Mississippi River. It's the uh, the sounds of the, the beat of human beings walking through uh, downtown or Front Street or Midtown or all of that comes together to make the music we have. So when, when I first got here, someone said to me a quote that I love, if, if, if music were a religion, Memphis would be Jerusalem because so many different styles. Now I'm finally coming back to what you said about classical music. 
I believe that great music is great music is great music. I couldn't care less about label. I think if you, you'll find that most every musician that I know doesn't really care if something's called classical or country or R&B or blues or bluegrass. If it's great, it's great. If it's not, we probably don't want to be that involved with it. And if you take a look at what we're doing at the Memphis Symphony, um, we are having the most fun especially pre-COVID, but COVID's making us be creative. But we are having the most fun these past few years, figuring out ways to bring completely unexpected musical styles together. We just put Stravinsky, Soldier's Tale, and Robert Johnson Blues mashed together into one performance. And it wasn't like we did the music of one, then the next. We put it together, a little bit of one, a little bit of the next. This is the kind of stuff I'm, that got me so excited when I got the job in Memphis because it is like Jerusalem for music and we do get to put it all together. So last word and then I'll shut up. My mission is to make people look at me and or the Memphis Symphony and not think, oh, there's the classical music people. No, they think there's another part of the really cool music people who are involved in making great music in the, in the community. Yeah, that's a great note about how it can all be interconnected no matter what um, you know genre of music that you're talking about. Um, James, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, just piggybacking off of what Robert said, um, you know, I, I don't think you can tear the two apart, culture and the music that it creates. Um, I think culture is the seed of any art, uh, any creation. Uh, it's a direct line injection into it. I think the thing that makes Memphis even more special uh, regarding that dynamic is um, there's something about the, the Memphis culture that uh, affects our music in a way that uh, we don't care what anybody else is doing. And, that, uh, and I say that as a kid who traveled a lot, uh, you know, in his childhood. I've seen, I mean, I'm first generation American on my mom's side. I've seen other continents and, um, you know, one of the beautiful things about Memphis culture in general is how much we just do what we're doing. You know, what LA's doing, what New York's doing, what Nashville, whatever, who cares? That's what y'all are doing and that's great. But in Memphis, we're doing this. And that shows up in our music. And in, in a way that becomes a kind of incubation boiling pot of sounds and fusions that are generally ahead of their time. Um, and then 20 years later, it's the sound of the industry. Uh, so Memphis has a history of doing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then Jane, do you want any last minute notes on that? Um, I think I think everybody covered it. You know, um, we have a, a strong history here of going through things. And a lot of times art is cathartic and healing. And we've always been, um, I think creating, you know, things from that space and it shows. Definitely. Um, so, you know, hearing that we are one of a kind in our music, which I think many, if not all of us know already, um, what are the economic impacts of that Memphis music? I mean, um, I know some of you touched on, you know, where we came from in the past, um, and some of you talked about what we're doing now, um, and how those two pieces are even connected. So um, what are some of the economic impacts? You want to take it, James? Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, so there definitely is an economic impact, right? Um, 
But I think where where I would like to see conversations dwell is what is that impact and who does that impact, right? Um, you know, when we talk about um, the music here and we talk about the people who create that music here and has consistently made this place a special place to be and visit, a special place to come from other places and leave a whole bunch of money here and go home, right? <laughs> When we talk about the people who have actually made that this place that, how are those people doing? Right? How how have they been impacted by how they have historically made this city great? And if they are impacted in a positive way, is it proportional to the impact that they gave the city? Um, and I I think that that's the beginning of that conversation. And I'll gladly Gary Payton that off to somebody else. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a really excellent point, um, for sure. It sounds like, you know, it's definitely a success area for Memphis in some ways, um, but we have huge opportunity to grow as well. Um, and so, Tanya, if you want to jump in um, about some of those ways that we could grow and move forward for a better tomorrow, um, what's your perspective? Um, what perspective on the economic impact of Memphis music or growing from that? A little of both. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so of course, um, I guess the, the economic impact of Memphis, of course, any, anyone that's working, um, that's working and producing, um, impacts the economy, um, it, regardless of any type of industry. So uh, one of the biggest things that I've always been able, uh, advocating is the fact that Memphis looks at its creative class as a positive um, economic contributor. A lot of people look at music like, hey, that's music, you're singing part-time, but this is a lot of people's lives. So on top of them singing, they're writing songs, they have industry, they may be running sound and lights. Um, it's so many different aspects and so many jobs and so many ways to make money within the industry. And people are here actively doing it, you know, uh, you know, support me, damn, they're here doing it and creating these um, these different avenues. And of course, what our, our old mantra of gritting and grinding it out in, in a sense, that's what Memphis has essentially been about. But um, as far as the economic impact, it, it contributes greatly. Now, whether we um, as a collective, as a city or as a unit has um, done a great job at charting those numbers, and looking at those numbers and really paying attention to how much of that money that's um, that's generated from music, how much of that is reinvested into the creators, how much of that, you know, again, piggybacking off of what I mean, Matt Beat said, um, how much of that money is going back into the creators' pockets? It's okay to have an industry, but of course, if you aren't fund funding the people that are keeping the industry and driving the industry going, then pretty soon you won't really have an industry. But there is a, a very strong economic impact that I would love to see some type of um, impact study actually done on Memphis music, all inclusive, you know, genres, colors, races, everything kind of just looking at where Memphis has music and how Memphis and Memphians take in their music on a daily basis would be an interesting thing. And I think that would be a, a great um, foundation for a lot of us organizations to actually have to look at these numbers so we can know where our programming can begin, where we can know where our outreach can actually begin because we're seeing where the people are and it's our job to meet people where they're at. Um, so yeah, it, it, it contributes greatly. 
um, and we can benefit from having more numbers, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely um, a really interesting perspective when you talk about um, both, you know, doing the research and finding um, what we can study and what those impacts are, especially now that music has changed so much and there's so many different ways to listen and participate. Um, and then so that we can properly reinvest it, whether it's through development or other infrastructure. Uh, Jane, do you want to dive in a little bit? Yeah, so um, Memphis Tourism has extensive research on um, music as a travel motivator to the city. And it is, in fact, the number one travel motivator uh, for people to get here. Um, and that looks like a lot of things. You know, music, of course, in Memphis looks like our legacy um, and our music attractions and our festivals. Um, but when people are just coming even for the day or even for one night, oftentimes they end up on Beale Street or in a venue, you know, in Midtown or at Memphis Symphony Orchestra at the Orpheum um, at one of our many venues to see live music. And um, to James's point, you know, paying attention to how much of that economic, economic impact is going back into um, the creators of this art that has supported who we are as a city um, culturally for so long is something that we really need to dive deep into and make sure that we're doing everything that we can to increase, you know, just pay for musicians and music industry. For sure. Ken? Well, I, I, I tend to tie it to the first topic, which was, you know, being a forerunner in anything you don't seem to get the, uh, often my experience is you don't seem to get the financial benefit of that. Um, generally, you, you, there's, there is living sort of on that front tip and the front edge. I'm not sure if I'm going the right direction in answering this, but as, a, as what I see as a forerunner in genre and um, talent and creative spirit, um, Memphis generally hasn't been appreciated from outside financially, it's been more taken, you know, and then uh, like James said, 20 years later, it becomes the thing. Well, it became the thing for somebody else. And a lot of times that money never made it to the forerunner who comes in. And so we're an entrepreneurial city in general, which is fantastic. Um, I think, uh, you know, the place of growth could be some really strategic investment in those things that are entrepreneurial in the city and uh, recognizing some small beginnings, which is my big, my big pushes for young people and the, and the young, young creators, you know, that are undiscovered and that kind of thing. So I tend to think that way, but uh, I don't want to see another generation of the uh, security guard that I've met that was the drummer on some record and never got paid. And the, you know, these folks who are now retiring, you know, penniless, uh, we, we need to invest in the artists and, and change that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, make it be a celebration we can have. You know? Definitely. Um, and last but not least, Robert. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll start by saying, you know, maybe the most optimistic thought that came to my mind that I think Memphis uh, is not even on the cusp is into uh, one of the coolest Renaissance experiences I've seen of any city um, where I've worked, I've, I've had um, experiences working in multiple parts of the country from Arizona to New York to Maine to North Carolina. And, and it's seeing Memphis back in 2005 when I first came and seeing the number of 
of buildings that were closed or empty or boarded up versus now seeing the just huge amount of development that's happening. And music is ubiquitous. You, music is a part of all of that. Uh, the word that keeps staying in my mind during this COVID time is, is creativity. Um, it's really a good thing about being an artist. We're creative. And so music, music exists at, at Crosstown. They built this, you know, they took this old, what was it, Sears warehouse and built this amazing uh, new complete little, little mini city within a city. They put an auditorium there. You know, uh, music is in the elevators, it's in the malls. So what I'm having, a, what I think is really important is that we communicate and we collaborate. Um, we, we, we want to figure out new ways to, to connect genres of music, but organizations around the community so that when we do look for where the money is going to go, that it doesn't funnel out of the Mid-South, but it stays around Memphis. We, you know, we, we can pick, all, we have a million ideas for a Pops concert at the Cannon Center. We've done a salute to Prince. We've done big Elvis Presley concert. Last year, we did a mammoth salute to David Porter and all of the music he was connected to writing. One of the best concerts maybe that probably has happened anywhere in the country with a symphony orchestra. And that way it kept everything. And we used all artists that were Memphis-based or Memphis-connected. So it kept everything here. Um, I'm a big believer in uh, communication and collaboration with, with even unexpected partners. And then finally, the members of the Memphis Symphony Orchestra. Anybody who's read the news has seen there have been years where there have been tight, really difficult financial times. Actually, knock wood, I'm, I'm proud to say this publicly, we're one of the only orchestras in the country that were in a good financial place right now and are, have been able to continue paying our players through their contract this year many orchestras laid their players off. So to go from being almost out of business not too many years ago to this kind of place, and those people, that violinist, that trumpet player, they live in our community. They are members of the orchestra, but they also teach private lessons. They're faculty or adjunct faculty at colleges and universities. They work in churches. They play, they, they play gigs for recordings. They, you know, they are part of the lifeblood. So the more we communicate, the more we collaborate, the better off it is for every, you know, the, every guy who didn't get his check for playing a drum set. We, we have to figure out a way to, you know, keep it here in our community. Definitely. Um, so seeing that, you know, it's a very, it's very important for our city. Um, you know, it drives tourism, it drives communication and collaboration with other cities. Um, what is next? How can the future generations of musicians and change makers ensure to honor our city's legacy, um, but continue innovating and pushing that creative influence um, to put Memphis on the map? Um, and I will start this one with Ken. Well, uh, I think the, you know, the first thing, if we're going to take the legacy, we got to let students know. I mean, I've met, you know, Memphis students who came to college here, they never heard of Stacks. I don't know how that's possible. It's it's ridiculous. So we anyway, we got to get better, you know, music education in the in the school system, I guess, you know. Um, but we do have to, you know, we need to connect generation to generation. I, I feel like, you know, potentially there's a there's been a lack so long that there's a bit of a something to overcome that I'm just talking out in space here and uh, you know, I'm 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 becoming 
a generational person, older person, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the lack of contact between those people who have gone before and who have, uh, and the younger folks, um, it's a lack of contact and maybe still a little bit of when you get, when you have lack, you, it's hard to give, you know, so not, I, I'm not even thinking of somebody in particular that's not giving from the older generation. I'm just saying there needs to be connection, like uh, Robert said a minute ago, that communication between generations to pass that legacy on. Because I'm, I'm a relationship guy. I think that's really ultimately how it's passed on. Um, that's all, you know, cool, you know, in-school programs, uh, writing poetry and setting music, those kind of things, those little initiatives that pop up around Memphis. And then I think uh, helping young people get started entrepreneurially because music is ultimately primarily self-employment and self-branding and it's a business and just getting more knowledge and uh, tiny resources to get things going. I, I'm constantly a guy that just wants to see a little thing move. And if you have a, many little things move, you can have something very large move. And because people recognize the immense talent out of that one out of a thousand student, you know, young person. Yeah. Um, but the other, you know, the other 100, 200 that ought to be doing music, they, they, you know, seeing that rise would be an important move to me to, to see the future go. Interesting. Um, Jane? Sorry. Um, yeah. Uh... You know, I think that exactly what Ken said, honestly, I think that um, this goes for more than just music, but I think, you know, people having communication cross generations is extremely important. Um, and just being in community in general is something that we're lacking. So I definitely will just, I think you nailed it, Ken. <laughs> All right, Sonia. Um, so, of course, this is one of my favorite topics because this is exactly what we do at Memphis Slam Collaboratory. Of course, you know, one of my uh, new my newest favorite catchphrase is, of course, we are right on the edge of preservation and progression. Um, and that means that, of course, by honoring the legacy of Memphis Slam and looking at his life and looking at um, his achievements and even his mistakes at some point, we're able to use those as teaching tools for current musicians to, again, look at the life and look at how he lived and how he had these different restrictions that they no longer have so they can kind of frame their position within their own careers right now. Um, I've always been a huge advocate of, of honoring, um, honoring our past legacy. As an artist myself, that was one of the reasons that um, reasons why I came to Memphis, of course, uh, because of this deep legacy. And one of the things that I noticed that there um, has somewhat always been a disconnect. And I've noticed that not just in Memphis, but it's in music cities general, where the emphasis is um, heavily placed on the past, where the present and the future are kind of left questioning, where is my place in this? Where's my place? Like, how do I fit in? So there's um, a bit of contempt starts to develop because they're like, they're always talking about the old songs and all the old songs and this and this and so on and so forth. But looking again, looking at um, our new artists juxtaposed against our older artists, positioning the newer artists to where they have access to this history. They have access to this information. In a lot of cases, with especially with Memphis Limb Collaboratory, because it is a collaboration laboratory, and the whole experiment is to put people in the same space to where people who normally wouldn't interact with each other 
do in hopes that these type of dialogues to where these stories can be passed down and shared or when I was your age, you know, I was doing this or I remember when I played this or don't play that guitar, that brand is trash. You know, just anything that can come out, you know, as far as sharing the stories and really just promoting that dialogue. That's something that I would really, really love to see here in Memphis because there's a lot to learn from the past. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, it's an old, old saying that says those who don't know their past are doomed to repeat it in essence. So a lot of the pitfalls that we may have seen, you know, with Memphis music, as far as labels, labels falling apart, artists, just, you know, bands disbanding and different things like that. A lot of this dialogue can help save a lot of future artists and present artists from a lot of this heartache because they have these stories and they have these shared experiences that they don't necessarily have to learn themselves or suffer from that. Because other people did it. What's the quote? Um, Miss, you know, shout out to Ruby Wilson. She said, uh, Miss Ruby did it so you don't have to. That's essentially what it is. Like they did this so we don't have to um, in most cases. So it's great to know those stories and respect the, the path and um, that they trailblazed for us to walk down so easily because this trail wasn't clear. At one point, the trail had snakes and holes and all kinds of other stuff. And because of their sacrifice, we get to, you know, move down this trail. And I, and I just think it's important that we honor that. Yeah, definitely. I think that cross-generational, um, you know, guidance and education and mentorship mm -hmm. is so important. Um, Robert. Sorry okay. about that. <laughs> okay. I, had to just, I had to just close the door really quickly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've, I have a couple of thoughts. Uh, the first one about sort of how, how to move forward how to keep seeing sort of um, success, um, however you want to measure that uh, moving forward. Uh, first of all, most every music organization, um, other than that handful of, you know, superstar artists, we don't, we don't come equipped with mammoth budgets, you know? Um, so I believe that a lot of what we do is, I believe the best what we do is retail. I think the best work we we do in connecting is when we connect one to one. So for anyone there watching, listening, I would say anytime you want to, you know, buy me a cup of coffee or I buy you one, I'm more than happy to talk about ideas and what's going on in music and how we can, as I said before, put interesting groups together from those kind of conversations, you know, came the orchestra playing with Lil Buck, you know, doing the swan. So that that's the kind of thing that we want to happen uh, and talk thinking about being relevant i think i think um i don't want us to be the memphis symphony orchestra that looks and sounds and behaves and does the exact same things as the new york philharmonic or the berlin um phil because we're not in new york and we're not in berlin we're, we're in memphis and that's a that's a those are great what goes on in those places someone else said those are great what they're doing but what we're doing uh, is unique and we want to be as relevant to the times as we can. There are a couple of levels of that. One, uh, just as Tanya mentioned about sort of music and what, what you know, older people or younger people think about older people's music. I, I mean, we're really stuck with this in the orchestral world. People hear the word orchestra. Yeah. They presume you have to wear a tux. They presume you have to be scared when to clap in the auditorium. We, we need to completely just kill all of those old Victorian sort of rules and procedures about 
classical music. They, they were good, I guess, in 1840. They have no place in 2020. If you come to our concert, please, if the music, ba -ba -da -ba -ba -ba, when that finishes, clap for Pete's sake. We, <laughs> we're sitting on stage and it's suddenly quiet, like, oh, that was not the end of the piece, you know? We don't want that anymore. We should use uh, technology to our greatest advantage. And clearly, I just noticed that my um, virtual background is backwards. So clearly, I'm not. No, no, ours. You look good. <laughs> it, I'm not the guy to lead it, but we should. We're, we're incorporating a lot of video, a lot of text. Instead of just having people sit and listen to a piece of music, we're putting text above, sort of talking you through what's going on, whether that's Beethoven or Bach or something written by a a living composer, and this is the this is the last thing I'll say that the living composer part relevancy also means being connected to the time and the culture and the news and the the spirit of what's going on. Um, my job as a musician, I have very strong opinions about politics and religion. I'm not going to share those, but my job as a musician on one level is not just to make pretty music that you think is, oh, isn't that nice? My job is to, musicians and composers have created lyrics and operas and plays and theater to, to make us think about things that are going on. There's, there's a piece by Joel Thompson. It's been done once in Memphis two years ago. We're going to plan to do it again with the Memphis Symphony. It's called The Seven Last Words of the Unarmed. It's a take on a, on a piece by Haydn, The Seven Last Words of Christ, an important, important work in the, in the um, music and Christian liturgy. Seven Last Words of the Unarmed are the seven last words of seven black men who lost their lives because of the, because of, I'm, I'm searching for a word because of the, the stupidity or idiocy of a police officer, but really because of an entire um, civilization that's, got a lot of this wrong and that we 160 years later we're still fighting the civil war and i i also admit i feel silly talking about it as a as a white male but i need to learn i need to sort of be be own and be remorseful for the things that 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 i've done and apologize but i also need to learn and then i need to figure out a way in all of us to put art out there that will get people talking about these things, not planning to bring an, an answer, not planning to necessarily make a convert, but but get people talking about it. Music sometimes should be beautiful. It sometimes should be fun. It sometimes should be the best way to spend an evening on Beale Street. Music should also be, and it has been for thousands of years, something that gets you thinking and talking. I would much rather you be angry at a concert we do or thrilled at a concert than lukewarm at a concert. A yeah, yeah, that's a good point about, you know, inspiring passion and keeping that moving, um, you know, no matter what that is. That's how I think we can can really be relevant and, and uniquely relevant to, to Memphis and our yeah. story. Um, and James, last but not least for this one, um, how can we continue innovating into the future um, as we move through new generations? I know you're very into this with working with all of your artists. Yeah, um, honestly, for me, the, the ground floor of it is simply to create opportunities I did not have. Um, that's where everything starts. That's the seed and foundation of all of my ideas is I think about 
you know, and if I can be ultra real, I'm a black man in a very black city that didn't feel represented at all here growing up. And it was the seed for me wanting to leave here and eventually leaving here uh, when I did. Um, and so when I think back to 18, 17, 16 year olds here, I think about all the things that I wish I had. Um, you know, I didn't just wish that I had uh, opportunities to, low and grow, to learn and grow. Um, I wish that I had more people who looked like me that would help me do that. Uh, I wish that I had more opportunities to do that in the community I grew up in, which it was non-existent. Um, we barely have a grocery store now. Um, so, you know, these are the things that I think about. I think it's impossible. I, I think I think there's a real problem if we talk about moving forward and building without addressing huge potholes in this city right now. Huge potholes in what is funded, whether it be a whole bunch of money or even a little money. Some things aren't funded at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> You know, uh, you know, we talk about the availability of said support. We talk about what that support looks like. And we can't deny that what it looks like matters. Um, you know, that to me, it's all about creating opportunities that I didn't have. Um, I would say the second part of that um, is to take on the next level of what it is to be an artist. Um, you know, I'm one of the few people I, I dwell in a lot of rooms, uh, whether it be rooms with musicians, rooms with administrators, rooms with leaders and organizers. Um, and I, I do feel like I have a responsibility being that I have experiences in almost all of those rooms uh, that are very true to my life as a growing up as a black man in the city. And so for me, I feel a personal obligation to <clears throat> establish the next level to do my part amongst the <laughs> whole community of people uh, to establish the next level of what it is to maintain our culture, which starts with ownership. Yeah. Right? It starts with ownership. At the end of the day, there's only so much I can help somebody else get it right. Uh, and there's only so much explaining. It's so exhausting trying to explain what it is to grow up in this city as a musician, as an artist, as a creative in poverty and understand what are the things that need to be supported and not supported and how that affects people. And at, at some point, you just got to consider, man, Maybe we should do it. Yeah. You know, Why and, not Memphis? Yeah. And I, I think that's in the Memphis spirit is hmm, maybe we should do it. Um, and so for me, that's when I think about the future and innovation, I think it's the artist becomes more than the artist. Uh, I think it's we take control, not lean so heavily on asking somebody to understand our plights. But we just do what's necessary to advance uh, at the hands of ourselves. Those are I think that's how we maintain and that's how we grow it. I think as long as I'm having to explain my problem over and over again, <laughs> uh, I don't know how, how much longer I can do that. No, that's a really good point, um, especially, you know, given recent events. Um, 
So I guess we have time probably for one more question before we jump in. Um, so I certainly don't want to ignore what's happening um, in the world around us currently. Um, so given the current climate with um, COVID-19 and all that that has endeavored, um, how has that changed the way that Memphis is approaching music? And what is it truly important for each of our audience members to consider um, in supporting our musicians and you know, supporting our music industry um, right now? Um, and let's start this one with Tanya. Um, well, of course, live music. Memphis is a live music city. Um, people like to go and congregate and partake in the enjoyment of music together as a collective unit. And, you know, COVID is telling us to do the exact opposite. Um, social distancing doesn't allow us to go to concerts, doesn't allow us to go to our favorite venues, um, doesn't allow us to even go, you know, to our favorite outdoor venues or anything like that. It's just, it kind of has reshaped the way we look at music um, and how we take in music. So of course now you're seeing more streaming um, and different things as far as how people, the people are receiving it, which is funny because artists have already started, had already started doing that, you know, from the, I guess really the inception of social media, the whole point was to gather this art, you know, gather, use this platform to gather people and kind of shepherd them into your talent, into what you have to offer. Um, and now everything's shifted. You, you're seeing people um, going online more and doing more concerts. What I would really love to see um, is more artists doing um, original music because that's going to be the way that they finally monetize uh, different things. You know, of course, with, um, with the social media platforms, especially um, reinforcing and doubling down on their rules as far as restrictions, um, licensing, and um, just overall music restrictions and what can what can be streamed online, what can be played online. Um, it's always been my suggestion again to to have your own platform to figure out a way to develop yourself. Um, use social media as a booster or a way to rein people in to this network that you created and can maintain for yourself. And COVID is really forcing that, um, whether it be, you know, how, again, how we take in music, how we receive it, how we deliver our music, how we reach these new audiences, even with organizations and branding, how do we engage, you know, how do we engage with our normal audiences, you know, and how do we present this in a format, you know, that, that works. Because again, this is something that's difficult too, and kind of touching on the what um, what um, James had stated earlier about the um, I guess about the downside and looking at again the poverty and addressing certain things. Looking at the technology gap here and the fact that a lot of people, a huge percentage of the people in Memphis, don't have access to the internet. How are they going to get our music? How are, if they're artists and they don't have access to the, you know, the internet like that, how are they going to get their talent out? So again, this is, this, this, this uh, pandemic has really caused, you know, us as a city. And I think globally, it's really caused people to kind of just look at the, what was the current way of doing things and this whole getting back to normal. It's like, what is this normal we're trying to get back to? Because the more we deviate from it, the more we realize it wasn't as functional as we thought it was because it wouldn't be working for us right now. And we wouldn't have to revamp if it was an all inclusive plan that was a little bit more thought out. And in some cases, a lot of things are outdated and different things like that. So, again, I think COVID-19 really um, snapped us into this thinking and whipped us into the future of thinking as far as 
How do we deviate from this traditional sense that hasn't always worked and create something better that's um, more conducive, you know, for the creators as well as for the, you know, the listeners. And so that's something that I'm looking forward to, you know, just seeing and being a part of those type of dialogues over the next month, seeing what the, you know, creative minds like the, you know, the rest of the panelists here, um, some of the innovation that comes from this. I'm looking forward to seeing the websites and the apps and, you know, everything else. I used um, the Unapologetic app as um, as an example last night of some people who had already had, you know, um, started moving in that direction and really kind of, I'm not really foreseeing the pandemic, but foreseeing a case to where you would need to rein your artists in and how do you pull those people in closer? Because right now, artists need that support and they need the closeness of the audience in an age where closeness is kind of prohibited at this point. Yeah, no, um, it definitely seems like um, as things become more apparent um, mm-hmm. that you know, there is a draw for innovation and how do we draw solutions together as a city, um, you know, whether I'm heavily involved or whether I'm um, sitting back in, you know, my nine to five job. Um, and I'm excited to see the innovations as well. Um, I want to make sure we give the audience time to ask some questions. So um, let's hear from Jane on this one and then we can jump into that. Hey, yeah, so I think um, COVID, as Tanya said already, has really kind of change the game for everyone but for musicians who are gig workers um you they have absolutely no income right now and for us as a community to rally around them um and give them any kind of resources we have on how to apply for um gig worker um, unemployment services or if you have resources on how to start a merchandise store or um, you know, can give some sort of law advice, honestly. Um, there's a lot, there's a big gap, obviously, in resources here in the city. Um, but I think that a lot of musicians don't know that there is a way for them to get compensation during this time um, that's outside of just showing up to a venue and playing music. So as much as we can spread that word, um, I think we'll be in a better place when we come out on the other side of it. Definitely. Um, so kind of relevant, um, and I'll, I'll let y'all hop in for who wants to take this one. Um, but we had one question from Duncan Williams that said, um, what can the business community, so outside of individuals, what can our businesses, um, do to help during this time? Uh, can I pass on that? Yep. All right, Ken, do you have any ideas for that one? Yeah, I have, but, um, I think I've, just part of that last question ties into this. My answer was going to be uh, generally around businesses. There's an opportunity, but, and I, you know, speak about this a lot. There's there's a lower entry level than we think. And if I have 77 people listening to my voice saying this answer, I would just say you can make a difference in your business or your personal time to a musician through the skills you already have because musicians and creators don't have your skills you know they they do need all those skills you know alongside creating tiniest the the tiniest business is the one person you know musician so i think every person listening can do something very simple to help musicians be encouraged to keep creating and get access to technology and all the things you know so starting somewhere small i think encourage businesses generally i think could encourage their employees, um, double donations to music organizations, uh, 
match the kind of hours of work and community service they encourage their employees to do to help music and Memphis oriented artists um, get out of, you know, work on your accounting or your marketing or your some talent and, and let that be bleed outside the nine to five that we, you know, kind of say normally let it bleed outside there or invite artists to your location. We've sent students to banks to sing and all that. Now, when they said stop singing this weekend at COVID, I was like, okay, let's just, let's just quit living. Okay. Can't sing. <laughs> but, uh, but until, you know, as long as we can still, you know, sing one to person to another, uh, you know, invite artists around business people, let them get to hear the story because ultimately it's live music and it's merch and the merch is really telling your story or something interesting, you know, just having that brand built up and, that that's not that hard for a marketing person or a you know a, a teacher well teachers work too hard already but anyway you know somebody to work outside their zone and get to know artists and work on that branding for Memphis very little money can start someone down the road to getting out of the cycle just not believing they should do it anymore that's that's what I see every day teenagers writing music and it's like it's phenomenal how can you write more, uh, you know, this given up? So, sorry, I'll stop there. <laughs> no, <that's great>. <laughs> <laughs> I think you covered many of the big ones. Um, investment, um, volunteering time, doubling donations, um, all of that. Um, and we have one more question, um, and that was, how would a person, specifically a young person, um, find the jobs and the training for those behind the scenes opportunities in the music industry? Um, and I'm not sure if that was the Tanya's point earlier when you had talked a little bit about that, about how there are all those opportunities. So I'll let you take that one. Okay. Um, well, yeah, if, if you would allow me to, to just make a quick point on how corporations can also participate, and then I'll jump into that question as well. Sure. Don't be afraid to think outside of the box. If you're a corporate <laughs> entity, um, we are Memphis City. I mean, oh, Music City. Excuse me. We are Memphis City, too. But we're That's a Music City. And so do not be afraid to think out of the box. If you see an artist that is doing something within the lines of something that uh, a resource that you have, offer yourself, offer yourself up. A lot of times, this is the thing. You don't necessarily have to write a huge check, even though I am not fighting huge checks here. So don't interpret that. But sometimes that isn't necessary. Artists need resources a lot of times. We need access to certain things that we may not get to, you know, be able to get to. The point that I mentioned before, technology. If you're a company that has access to a lot of this stuff, reach out to musicians, invite musicians to share that platform that you, you know, had and that you're paying for. Those type of things make a difference. And I can guarantee you, if everyone kind of thought in those type of things where what is the, the small thing that I can do? What is this thing that I can jump in and do that I, you know, that I'm really good at? How can I use this to help other people? If everyone thought like that, then you would see Memphis, you know, in this in this sense of like other, you know, larger music cities like Atlanta or Philadelphia, because essentially that's what they did. There was no organized movement of, hey, we're all going to put ourselves on right now. No, everyone collectively worked on their stuff. And then the people who saw them doing great things were like, hey, let me help you. And so like in Atlanta, you had these strong brands like a Coca-Cola and like, you know, different things like that that were jumping in and seeing where they can do these small things because they saw that as an asset and they believed in investing in their city, which meant they invested into the culture of their city, which meant that they invested into the music of their city. 
So let's revisit those conversations and figure out exactly how corporations can help. But as far as the youth being involved, there's so many different organizations, depending on how, you know, what your age range is. If you are um, in elementary school, high school range, there's a wonderful organization here by the name of Memphis Music Initiative um, that basically they do two different things. They, they help build a platform of retention for artists because what they do is employ artists to go into the schools with struggling music programs and non-existent music programs. And they employ these artists um, to teach during the daytime on a part-time basis that still gives them enough money to pay their bills and to not struggle, but then also frees them up at night to where they can gig and still work on their craft. So those types of organizations, of course, feed into a lot of organizations like Slim House, like Stax Music Academy, like Black Arts Alliance, like Prism Ensemble, like so many unapologetic youth, like so many different, you know, youth initiatives that, um, that are designed so I would say, you know, start talking to, you know, any of them. If someone has a question of anything, if it's something that directly deals with Slim House that I can help you with, if not, I probably know who I can direct you to. So please feel free to reach out to me if you have a, you know, a young person or, you know, have someone that's interested in music, especially the back end, because that's something that we specifically work on is teaching the management aspects, the back end stuff, the production, the, you know, all that type of stuff, like those those things that aren't necessarily in the limelight, but are essential to the functioning, to the proper functioning of a music industry in a city. So again, you know, I I, I make myself available. I love talking to young people. And again, like what James said, I, I, I really try to be what I did not have growing up. Um, and so I didn't have anyone to talk to. I knew what I wanted to do, but there was no one that I could have access to that was doing it. So I kind of had to create my own way. So essentially I would love to, you know, be that point person if I can help in any way or at least direct their path. And please, 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 <laughs> um, you know, ask me, you know, any questions that you have about that personally. Yes, thank you. So I will encourage also if um, any of our panelists today um, are open to having folks um, in both the business community and just individuals interested in the sector um, and reaching out to them, feel free to drop your emails in the chat. Um, so that everyone can have that. Um, and we've also compiled um, a few different ways that, you know, we hope that y'all activate after this luncheon. Um, so we can jump into that a little bit. Um, before I do, I want to make sure that I thank our very generous sponsors one more time for Strazen Foundation and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee. Um, they are always so amazing and supporting all of our work and so that y'all can hear from these amazing panelists. And um, thank you also to our panelists for taking the time today um, and to being adaptive and um, <laughs> you know doing this all from Zoom. It's, um, yeah. it's been great. Um, so um, I do want to highlight that um, if you're interested in hearing from Memphis musicians um, and you're not sure where to start, um, Jane Ellen White um, has compiled this Memphis 2020 playlist, all with new music um, and all who are Memphis artists. And um, it's what was playing at the beginning as you were logging into this um, panel today. So feel free to check that out. So ways that you can very easily, um, you know, help our artists right now, um, you can give your attention. Um, that is what our artists need to start building their brand and growing their platforms and reaching new audiences. Um, so Visible Music College has a radio station you can plug into. Um, you can visit the Memphis um, Tourism Music Hub or um, the We Are Memphis Music site. And those connect you to both artists. They have artist resources if you're a musician. 
Um, the Unapologetic World app, I know Tanya mentioned earlier, uh, <laughs> it is free to download um, in whatever app store you need to download from. Um, and they do a lot of different performances and all sorts of different things. Um, so whether you're in Memphis or abroad, you can um, stay connected. Um, and lastly, if you want to just pretend you're at the Levitt Show all summer while they have their virtual concert series, you can set up a picnic in, back, uh, in your backyard and uh, pretend that you're there. Um, and as we've touched on, um, you can really help by investing um, in, you know, our musicians in our city. And there's several different ways you can do that. Um, Music Export Memphis has a COVID relief fund that goes directly to our musicians. Um, if you're a musician, um, their next deadline to apply for that is June 3rd. So be sure to look. And if you want to support our musicians, um, you can very easily go to musicexportmemphis.com slash COVID um, and donate. You can purchase some merch. So if um, musicians have any that you want to buy, now's a great time, particularly while we can't do live performances. Um, and as I've seen a lot of of folks to, uh, discuss in the chat already. Um, you can hire a local musician or DJ to play at your virtual event. Um, I saw someone mention that Memphis Music Initiative was really great to connect folks. Um, and I've seen it at quite a few different events so it makes it way more fun and enjoyable for everyone. Transform your city with New Memphis Fellows. Are you mid-career professional with a passion for transforming your community? Let New Memphis amplify your service. The New Memphis Fellows Program is a leadership development experience for mid-career leaders designed for high-performing professionals already excelling in their careers and positively impacting our community. New Memphis will magnify your impact. Through the Fellows Experience, you will gain concrete resources to aid in our city's progress. Apply today. Visit newmemphis.org for more information. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this discussion about Memphis culture and music as much as we did. If you like what you hear, please consider calling in to leave us a voicemail to let us know. Did you learn something new about our great city or how our city's musical sound has cemented its place in history? We'd love to hear from you. Just call 901-460-3031. One more time, that's 901-460-3031. 3031. Just leave us a voicemail and let us know what you liked. Have a great day, Memphis. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR, produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com. Pod901.com.